Welcome to the Spirituality of Strength Training with your host, Anna Willard. This podcast is dedicated to bring you knowledge, wisdom, inspiration, and guidance to wherever you may be on your health journey. For those who are new to me, I am a kettlebell strength coach, a movement nerd ninja, and an empowerment coach on a mission to bring you hope through our health. The root word of health comes from wholeness. The root word of wholeness comes from holy. Despite our differences with religion and spiritual beliefs, we are all human beings with a body that is designed to reflect this holiness through our health. It wasn't until my seventh year as a health profession where I went into a deep awakening of understanding what does it mean to train my spirit and to heal my spirit through the physical. You'll hear a little bit more about my story from other health professionals, from strength coaches, psychiatrists, spiritual gurus and leaders, to other people who talk about the importance of our health as a community body and the health of our planet as well. This podcast is to allow us to step into our whole health, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you for being here. If you love what you hear, I encourage you to subscribe. If you want more inspiration and quotes from these podcasts, I encourage you to follow me on Instagram at Anna underscore Willard underscore. I encourage you to do a little bit of a movement, either yoga flow, go for a walk, sit in nature as you enjoy this episode. Hello, strong ones. Welcome to the show. This is the final episode of the series fitness for forgiveness. We have today Derek Clark. He is a motivational speaker on trauma resilience redemption. He's been on the Steve Hardy show featured all over different TV shows. He's the number one motivational speaker on trauma has over 250 million views on social media. And I'm super excited to learn from him. Derek Clark, welcome to the show. Derek Clark, what's <laughs> up? <laughs> Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, the crowd's going wild. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Derek, I found you. I had no idea who you were. I just Googled motivational speakers on trauma and you popped up. And so I'm first very honored that you're here and giving your time for the show and for the listeners. Um, can you just share your story first and how your career has taken off from that story? Yeah, so when you see this guy with the glasses on and a little goatee and my guitars in the background, you know, you never think about what, you know, what this guy has gone through. So you get to see the end of the movie by me right. standing here today and speaking to you, but it was a tough, tough life for me. I grew up in uh, foster care for 13 mm -hmm. years in Alameda County. That's Oakland, you know, basically across the bay from San Francisco. And my mom had abandoned me at age five at a psychiatric facility. My dad was in prison. My mom had three kids from three different men. I went through a, a great amount. I mean, brutal child abuse is what my state and county records stay. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 
when you go to a psych facility, they do a lot of tests on you. And uh, especially as this cute little five-year-old kid, I don't know what happened to me now, but back then, I, if I showed you a picture of this cute little five-year-old kid, you'd be like, oh my gosh. And they just abandoned me. They abandoned me there. And then they psychiatric facility did a lot of tests on me, neurological, speech and language evaluations, psychological, uh, psychiatric evaluations, uh, brain scans. And they said I had all these labels um, from overtly psychotic IQ of a two-year-old, not adoptable based on the severity of my behavioral and emotional problems. I, I, I had an IQ of a two-year-old. I, I had a 60-word 60 60 word vocabulary at six years old. The national average for a six-year-old is 2,600 words. A wow. three-year-old has 300-word vocabulary. Huh. So I couldn't run till seven years old, didn't learn to read and write till basically nine years old. I had been uh, yeah, I've been brutally abused and gone through a lot of trauma. And it's interesting that you reached out to me because this whole subject that you're uh, speaking on is forgiveness. And man, yeah. we're going to get deep today. Yeah. We're gonna get deep. But, you know, fast forward, you know, many years later, I decided to write a book about my life called I Will Never Give Up. And it started taking off. And then people were like, wow, your story is incredible. You've gone through so much adversity. And we'd love for you to speak. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak. I'm a man. I don't want to speak, you know, and be vulnerable. But they said, we'll pay you. And I'm like, what? No, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, you'll pay me. But my security blanket has always been for years and years, music. Mm, music okay. is what vibes with my soul. It is the way that it's like the oxygen to my soul. Yeah. And it's the way I communicate a lot, you know, through the hip hop, through, uh, you know, singing songs on the guitar and such. So I said, I'll only speak. I mean, I love the paycheck, but I'll only speak if I can bring my guitar, my hip hop beats with me and do some kind of performance. It's uh -huh. kind of like my way to creatively express myself and said, yeah. And it took off in this recession, you know, almost 10 years ago, it just took off and it catapulted me, catapulted me to a great, great place in life. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to get deep with you. Cool. What part in your life did you know that you were kind of like attracted to music or was that something that you always were drawn to? Um, and how during the times in like your childhood with some of the trauma that you experienced, how did you hang on to that? Was that kind of like your sense of hope or your anchor was the music? Yes, it was my hope. And, you know, in my book, it says, I remember eight years old I think it was eight years old I think I wrote is he eight or nine and I said one day I'm going to be a rock star and everybody is going to love me <laughs> and you know when you've had like 250 million views that's pretty incredible that's yeah. you know, more people that watched you than the Super Bowl you know, <laughs> you know I mean? it's pretty incredible and you realize not everyone is ever going to love you you know, right. you're always going to have keyboard gangsters, keyboard people that have keyboard courage or trolls. And you always have that one or 2% or 5% that just don't love you. And you have to remember to just love yourself and, and just stay in your lane. And, and music is a great way for me to creatively express myself. It, it, um, it calms me, it hypes me, you know, it takes me back. I mean, I love sad songs. <laughs> I do. I love it because it's just like, I love feeling, you know, I do mm. love feeling. Okay. I love that feeling of just yeah. like, I'm alive still. Yeah, wow. I've had a dark past. I've lived in the darkness. I've lived through tragedy, but I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
with feeling and forgiveness, I know sometimes even for, I speak for myself on this, sometimes I don't want to forgive because I don't want to feel the hurt. Can you talk a little bit about maybe why some people don't want to forgive just because it's not that they don't have the heart to forgive, but they don't want to feel the pain through forgiveness? Right. That's a great, great, Is that, yeah, a question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's the deal. I, I speak on trauma long. You got to deal, feel, heal. You got to feel to heal. You got to feel to heal. You got to let those walls down. You got to let grow, let go and grow. You got to be better, not bitter. You know what the most flammable piece of wood is? It's not elm. It's not oak. It's not pine. It's not California redwood. It's the chips on your shoulder. All these explosive chips that people carry, the bitterness, the resentment, the hatred, the guilt, the shame, the blame, right? Yeah. And you got to learn to flick those chips off your shoulder because all that that's doing is ruining your life. It's poisoning you. And so you have to feel to heal. You have to. You have to let those walls down. Deal, feel, heal. I love that. Deal, yeah. feel, heal. Yeah. Awesome. How... Do you bring um, people to awareness of that? Because I know some people just kind of get in that rut um, and they don't even see the own bitterness within their viewpoint. What are some ways that you help people bring light to some of the areas that they may be holding on to blame that's creating this bitterness? Right. And so I, I believe that a lot of people that are bitter know they're bitter. Ah. And so it's awareness, it's knowing mm -hmm. you're bitter. Because if you complain and blame, that's the mindset you remain. That's rapping dad right there. Blame and complain. That's the mindset you remain. So if you are bitter, you are going to complain and blame a lot. And you're always blaming others. You're not taking responsibility for the direction of your life. You're letting everybody control you. You're just reactionary and you blame everybody else for your reactions. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be better, not bitter. That's the that's the key. And you and we're going to talk more deeply about forgiveness and, and my story of how we went through the forgiveness process, because I believe that some people weren't worthy of my forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess my question with what you're just saying, what part in your life's journey did you realize that you were at this place of blame and, or shame, not shame. Now you got me rhyming, blame and shame. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it down. Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bust a ride. Oh, no, that's as close as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but at this place of um, holding on to that bitterness and not going through that process of forgiveness, what place in your life were you? I know some people kind of have to hit rock, rock bottom. Um, I know for me, it was more of this journey of health. What place was it for you that you realized that you had to take control versus react? to some of these things that were happening? Yeah. So it was when my first kid came mm -hmm. and my wife got pregnant and I was scared to be a dad. You know, growing up in the foster care, you feel rejected, you feel abandoned, you feel like no one really loves you, even though you might be in a good foster home. You just right. feel like it's not permanent. And so it was my first kid that was on his way and I was scared and so I remember reaching out to my biological mom. I have not met, I have not seen or heard my biological mom's voice for 25 years, ever since five years old. So I was basically 30 years old, reaching out to her. And she, 
and I talked on the phone for a little bit. Then I said, I don't, I don't want to talk on the phone. I just want to meet you because I have all these whys that I have that have haunted me for years. Why did you give me up? Why did you do all this brutal abuse? Why, why were, why did I live in a park? Why were we homeless? Why did we live in a garage? Why, like all these things? Why did you let this happen to me as a kid? Why did you never come yeah. back for me? All these things and. I had all these whys. Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And you know what why me means? What? For me. Mm. Victim mentality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people to switch their vocabulary, to change it from why me to what now. Mm, I love and that. Put you why in the me? moment right now. Instead of why, why? me? Yeah. Why does this always happen to me? Nope. Embrace it. Stop resisting. What now? So you can take responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. For the direction of your life. And so I met her. And she, she, you know, I, I ne you, you'll never get the wise answer to your liking ever, because yeah. <laughs> then you keep asking more wise, and it's just, it's just a, a, a freaking behavioral loop that just keeps going on. You'll never, you gotta let go. You, you can't. That's her life. That's my mom's life, mm -hmm. and I, and I've, I've embraced my life, and I cannot try to heal her. She's right. going to have to live with what she's done and she's going to have to go through her healing journey. Right. And so, mm -hmm. but I remember saying, you know, you can call me mom now. I'm like, you are not my mom. You know, yeah. my foster mom is my mom. Are you kidding me? And so she was, and she had said something like, it was tough for me, Derek. It was tough for me. I'm like, it was tough for you. I was a kid. You were the adult. Mm -hmm. I paid the price for your mistakes. And so I left meeting her, I left and I went home and I was unresolved and I still had like bitterness. And I'm 30, 31 years old at that point, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, I'm doing, I'm financially successful. I'm successful in the world's light. You know, I've got nice cars. I got a nice house. I got a nice business. I, I'm doing well, you know, on the outside, but on the inside, it's killing me that I'm not having closure, that I'm, that I have all this PTSD too from mm -hmm. the trauma. Yeah. And so I flew her back out to California a few times to try to build a relationship. And what you find out is when you try to build this relationship, you're always in the past. Hmm. Always. And you can never change the past. You can never. It's just part of your quest. It's part of your yeah. journey. You can never. All you can do is change right now. And that's it. And so many people get caught up in the past and they try to make up for the past and there you, you will never, ever do it. You'll never, ever. I mean, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, mm -hmm. Jesus, didn't, Jesus didn't have the, God didn't have the power to go change Jesus' past. You know, he turned the tragedy into triumph. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so you have to learn to, I love that quote by Dr. Wayne Dyer. It says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So the way I changed, I looked at my life was a curse. Poor me, why me, pitiful me. It was a curse. And then one day I had this epiphany that it's not a curse. It's a great blessing that I wasn't put back into the, my biological parents' mm -hmm. home mm -hmm. with all the abuse. It's a great blessing that I found a great woman in my life. It's a great blessing that I have a foster family that I consider my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. You know, and then so changing my mindset from well i'm from california so most most uh, marriages end up in divorce it seems like right so i call it divorcing your story ah. i learned to divorce my story from victim to victor i love this 
So I divorced my story and I changed my mindset and I realized that I am not a victim. I am mentally tough, mental toughness right here, mm -hmm. mental toughness. I have survived so much. You know, my, my mom was sexually abused by men in her past. She had been raped. Yeah. And we're going to get deep here. Mm -hmm. And when she told this man, my father, that I'm pregnant with your kid, he says, you better go get an abortion. If you don't get an abortion, I'll kill the kid myself. So at three months, no abortion, six months, no abortion, seven months pregnant, you got a nice bump there. And my mom is waitressing at a restaurant in San Diego, California, doing her job. And my six foot five dad comes into that restaurant in a fit of rage in front of everybody in that restaurant, grabs my mother by her long blonde hair, whip lashes her to the floor, drags her back into the kitchen and continues to stomp on her stomach over and over again to abort me but I lived. Mm -hmm. I freaking lived. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's interesting is um, I'm trying not to get emotional. Well, I am. So okay. it's okay. <laughs> I have a I huge, social, <laughs> yeah, I have a huge social media following on Facebook and other places. And, and the most two common messages, the two most co two common messages that I get are number one, will you be my dad? There's so many fatherless out there and they see me in the car with my kids, rapping dad, doing all the raps with my kids. And they see me, I'm, I'm a fun, fair, firm dad. That's what I am. Mm. But number two, number two, most common thing is I'm thinking of killing myself, Derek. I've already tried. How did you make it? How did you do it? You had a crazy life. And so what do I do? I go to their profile and I check out what do they what do they post? Number first, the first thing I check is how many friends they have. The average person, 150-ish friends, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. But it could be 400 friends, 750 friends. I was just dealing with someone that had 2,250 friends. And they reached out to me. And on my Facebook, you'll see the little blue check celebrity mark, you know, oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. I'm the rapping dad, the little celebrity, you know, blue <laughs> check mark. It's verified. And they'll reach out to somebody with that blue check mark that you know how many messages I get a day? It's insane. But they reach out to someone like me that is almost untouchable because of the volume of social media people, uh, followers, right? Mm -hmm. and it's hard to keep up on the messages. But they got 2,250 personal friends or 150 personal friends, and they reach out to me because pain attaches to pain. They feel. They see. Mm -hmm. They feel it like, oh my gosh, this guy has gone through what I've gone through or something similar, and he still made it. And so I always check out what do they post, something positive or negative on their social media? Mm -hmm. What are they attracting in their life? Mm -hmm. Right. And then I always write something back to them. And the last part of the last thing that I write is this the meaning of life is to give your life meaning. Mm -hmm. And so I have found meaning in my life. And through that meaning, you know how I got to that meaning was through letting go, letting the bitterness go so that I could be my best authentic self, mm -hmm. the way God had designed me to be, not to hold shame, blame, and guilt. God doesn't want you to do that. I know I'm not, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about God on this, but I'm just letting you know my no, faith. Great. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. That God doesn't want us to be held down. There is so much potential in us and we hold ourselves down mm -hmm. by saying we're not worthy enough we're not pretty enough we're not skinny enough we're not you know tall enough we only have one toe one this one that right and the fact is is that you are perfect the way you are if you are your true authentic self mm -hmm. 
and that's the that. key. Yeah. Best. I don't think we hear that enough in our society. Um, with that, since you got on the God topic, I asked this question to another guest on the show during this episode of Fitness for Forgiveness. And my question is, is there ever a point where you feel like you need to forgive God for the story that he gave you? Yeah, that is interesting because you probably didn't know it. I've written seven books and one of my books is called I Will Never Give Up on God Again, mm. from feeling abandoned by God to feeling embraced by God. Mm. And, oh, I was so mad at God for years. You know, when I was 16, my sister had been shot and killed. 17, my brother had been killed. Uh, my other good friend had been shot and killed. At se- I had three deaths within a year of my life Ugh. at 16 and 17. And, you know, just on top of all the other trauma and foster care and stuff, now I got death all around me. And so I was mad at God that he took away people. And this is a story he gave me and nobody cares and he doesn't care. And I got to tell you, um, that followed me into my early 30s. Mm-hmm. I hated God. Seriously, I hated, I hated that, you know, he abandoned me, that nobody ever rescued me. And I grew up in this Christian home where you, Christian home where you pray all the time to pray for what you want. And guess what I would pray for? To go home. Hmm. Abuse, basically, because I, that was my mom and dad. And when you grow up in an abusive environment, that's just the way it is. You just take it. That's how you get your attention. Excuse me. That's how you get your attention, all this stuff. And so I just wanted to go back home and I felt like he abandoned me. And then all these people are dying around me. And so my life changed through this huge spiritual epiphany. And I realized that God had never abandoned me. I abandoned him Hmm. and that he had, he had led me. And, uh, but here's the thing, you know, growing up in churches and such, we're taught to forgive others, right? Forgive others, turn the cheek, all this stuff. And that's great. Mm -hmm. That is great. You should do that. But a lot of these churches and organizations do not teach this, which is so important. They don't teach this. Forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. Forgive yourself. And so we forgive others, but we don't forgive ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned. One of the key strategies to the success of my life was to let, uh, through letting go, was to forgive myself for all the mistakes that I've made, for all the people that I may have hurt, and, and let go and be able to say, okay, through these moments, these, this quest in my life, this journey, I've learned some very valuable lessons, and I've got to turn this mess into a message, mm-hmm. this test into a testimony, this mm-hmm. fear into faith, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, that's one of my big strategies is to forgive myself so I don't carry the blame, the shame, the guilt, the bitterness. Mm-hmm. You just forgive yourself. I speak at youth detention centers and prisons, right? Mm-hmm. So juvie prisons, and I'm always telling them, you've got to forgive yourself. Don't let this one thing, one mistake define you or confine you. Mm-hmm. Let it refine you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think um, one of the biggest challenges with forgiveness is the fact people want justice? Yes. And I think that's a pretty normal thing. We want someone to pay. Yeah, what they did to us. Uh I think, yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, uh, but what I want, when I read, when I wrote my first book, I didn't mention names or anything about my biological mom and stepdad and dad, right? Uh, Because, you know, the, 
the revenge. Well, they did something bad to me. Yeah. And you know what? I realized that I'm not in it for the revenge. I'm in it to share my voice and my story. The revenge is my success. (laughs) (laughs) And that they have to live with my book doing well and live with, you know, my my biological mom sent me a letter a couple years ago. She goes, oh, wow, I saw you on TV sharing your story. You did good. Thank you, you know. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, to me, that's great justice is to see, wow, what you did to me did not hold me down. Yeah. And here's the thing. A voice not spoken is a voice not heard. And so we have to share our voices and we have to share our vulnerabilities because those vulnerabilities empower so many people with hope. It's not a weakness. Yeah. It's not weak. It's strength. You mm-hmm. are strengthening. Yeah, you might feel weak in that moment and vulnerable, but listen, divorce your story. It's not a victim anymore. It's a victor. You could not destroy me. And I'm going to start a tribe of people that believe in the same thing because it's contagious. That's the thing. It's contagious. Hope is contagious. Kindness is contagious. Greatness is contagious. So love is contagious. So, you know, I'm big on that. Going back to this practice of self-forgiveness, what are some actual steps that you can give the listener to start this aspect of self-forgiveness? Yeah, so um, I'm a big fan of uh, watching documentaries. Mm-hmm. You know, I love documentaries that are all about the tragedy and how they rose up, right? Uh, so I'm big. Sometimes to get out of yourself, you have to give someone else hope. And, and we, we, um, we go like this, okay? Mm-hmm. We keep it. We keep it and and we resist what's happening to us and we get so mad at the world and we're like this. And I tell people all the time, don't go like this anymore. Go like this behind your back. So you go, bam. So you leave it behind because there's something about you physiologically that you hold on to this. You hold on to this bitterness and that nobody deserves your forgiveness, right? Nobody mm-hmm. deserves that. And so we go like this all the time, hold their fists. And so I tell people, go like this, like straight back, and you leave it behind you. And there's something so exhilarating and validating for you that when you go like this, it's letting the, the toxic spirit get out of you, you know, yeah. instead of just holding on and it just makes you bitter. Yeah. And so um, uh, reading, um, you know, I'm, I'm big into self-help books, right? Uh, uh-huh. Dr. Wayne Dyer, you know, yeah. I love Bach Chopra, I love you know, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Uh, Eckhart Tolle, my favorite book of all time, The Power of Now. Mm, if yeah. you have not read that book, this is before the whole new earth when Oprah, this is before he was got big with Oprah, right? Right. I read The Power of Now years ago. And my gosh, it changed my life. It's all about mm-hmm. thinking about what you think about, being in the moment, mm-hmm. finding out where your thoughts are and why are they living in the past and why are they living in the future? Why are they not living in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all you have is this moment. You are not your past anymore. You are not even in the future yet. So that's a great book. And it puts you in the moment and then it decide, it helps you decide what's your story, right? Yeah. Are you going to have a painful story or victory story? So um, I'm big on that. I'm big on having everyone should have a creative outlet. Everyone. 
Now, I know you work out with kettlebells. Yes. That is a physical outlet. Yes. That is not a creative outlet. I disagree. I disagree. Okay. 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 Well, you create the programs. Okay. You create the program. That is creative. That is. Yes. Okay. I I give it like that. But if you're just going out and working out, that is a physical outlet. Yes. Uh, Playing video games is a zone out. Reading is is not a creative outlet. That is a zone out. So writing a book, writing poetry, writing a song, creating a sports program, a physical program, uh, instead of playing the video games, you're creating the app for someone else to get addicted right. to the video games, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, um, you should have a creative outlet. I don't care if it's basket weaving, crocheting, creating a kettleball program, uh, or uh, tying fly fish hooks little fly fish, you know, like yeah. fly fish hooks where they look like flies. I don't care. You need to have a creative outlet and then also a physical outlet mm-hmm. and, and then a spiritual outlet, something that is greater than you mm-hmm. that exists, whatever you want to call it. You should have something that you can have faith in that brings you, transcends you, transforms you. And so um, that gets you outside of yourself. And then a need to contribute to this world. That is what a lot of people, we are selfless. We are a selfish society a lot of times and we need to be selfless. And how you get your soul to be in sync with your mind is how do you contribute to this world? Mm. And so I came up with an acronym. I did a TED talk on the power of determination. And 20 minutes before that TED talk, a quote came to my mind and nobody had it. And it's a Derek Clark quote. You can, you can Google it and you'll see it. But I came okay. up with hope. This is how I live my life every day. This is, my, this is my mantra, basically. Hope. Helping one person every day. Hope. It's an acronym, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you get beyond helping one person every day, it becomes helping other people excel. Mm-hmm. You want to you wanna get healed? My gosh, what are you doing to help others? Use your story to help others, Mm -hmm. whether it's someone that was molested at a young age, someone that was sexually assaulted, whether it was someone abused, someone that was processed. I just met a young girl who was 17 who came to me and says, Mr. Clark, I know I can be somebody because you're somebody. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And she goes, here's my four-year-old daughter. So I'm already doing the math and the the backwards in my head, like 17 with a four-year-old daughter. She must've been 12, 13, you know, 12 years old when she got pregnant. I go, what's your story? She goes, I grew up in a drug house and my mom started prostituting me out at 10 years old. There were so many men that used her and she got pregnant at 12. And so I told her, what do you want to be in life? And she goes, because I focus on a three-part formula that I came up when I deal with people with trauma. Struggle to solution to success. We validate the struggle. Yeah. We just don't unpack and live there. Thank <laughs> and you. And a lot of people Thank live in their you. struggle for years and their trauma. And it, you ruin the best years of your life. Yeah. And it only gets worse. It compounds. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't get any better. Because you got to talk about it. You got to write about it. You got to get the crap out. Yeah, that's the real world. That's real. You got to get it out. If you just keep it in, and you'll be like, Oh, I'm just going to work out all the time. I'm going to work out. Listen, there are a lot of people that work out that are angry. (laughs) And I was one of those people. Yeah, yeah. And so they're working out. But the working out doesn't necessarily you have to speak it. You have to speak it. You have to write. It's good to work out. 
you get that yep. aggressiveness out and it puts you on a level playing field later on that day and you get to relax and all that stuff. But the fact is, is you got to speak it out. Mm -hmm. You've got mm -hmm. to, you've got to write it out something. And then I always tell people, go to counseling, go yeah. to counseling, go to a life coach, go to counseling, whatever, to speak it out. Cause there are people that hold it in. Mm -hmm. So anyways, going back to struggle, the solution to success. So we validate the struggle. We acknowledge it. We just don't unpack and live there. And then I focus on where do you want to be in life? And she said to me, the 17-year-old said, I want to be a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I go, that is awesome. And I go, you want to understand the brain, huh? What's going on? She yeah. goes, yeah, I want to go to college. I go, okay, it's going to be so hard. You're a single mom, number one. Number two, you got all this trauma. And mm -hmm. you probably can't trust another guy. Right? I go, but don't you give up. You have a little precious angel that is needing you to be successful in life so you don't pass on a generational curse to her. Mm. you got to pass on generational blessings to her. Yeah. And so anyways, I got a letter uh, about a year later saying, Mr. Clark, I, I, um, I finished my first year of college. So struggle to solution to success, right? Yeah. So I, al I also worked with her visualize. Visualize to materialize, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. where do you want to be? Call the destination and move backwards. There is always a blueprint. Everybody yeah. should have a map, a massive action plan. Everybody. You should know where you're going and not focus on what you're going through. Sometimes focus where you're going to because that will get you, you know, through the trauma. Right. And so, you know, I could go on and on. But, you know, yeah. her life is doing much better. That's um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of things. You're going back. Um, for those who are just listening and not watching, what um, – previous of what you're talking about of just holding on and we live from a place of this so he was holding on Derek was holding on yeah. squeezing the fist and then he was acting out as if he was opening up his hands and throwing the the arms back and this leads to my question of where do you think forgiveness lives within the body well I believe that bitterness lives throughout the body Mm -hmm. And we know that bitterness and resentment weaken the immune system. Mm -hmm. It's very stressful to be bitter. Yeah. It is. And so I believe forgiveness lives through every cell of your body too. Mm -hmm. And here, let me make it, let me make an analogy here that I came up with a while ago. When you die, everybody's going to say RIP, rest in peace, rest in paradise. It's pretty guaranteed that somebody's going to say that. Mm -hmm. But no one, ever says this lip live in peace mm, yeah. we're all thinking peace is going to come when we die well, I, hope <laughs> you, I hope you my gosh i don't even know what's you know i don't i i, I want to live in peace lip i want to live in peace so that you know that's where i know i'm really alive you know mm -hmm. i mean so I want to live in peace now. And I had somebody in Nebraska come to me after my event, and she was 56 years old, I believe. And she came up to me, and she goes, I'm 56 years old. And I have, I'm, and she goes, how do you get rid of the bitterness? I have passed the bitterness on to my own children. And mm -hmm. she's crying as she's telling me this. Mm -hmm. And that made me think, wow, she, she wasted the best years of her life her younger years, right? I mean, every year is great that you're alive, but you know, the younger years when you got more, you're more agile and strong and all <laughs> stuff, right? And she spent many years of her life bitter and she passed it on to her kids and she stuck. And it's very, very sad because 
we need to realize that if we live in peace, it is contagious mm. that we're going to pass that on to our kids. You know, most of my audiences, and I do, I do 60, 65 events a year or so from Australia to Canada, throughout the United States, and most of my audiences know more about my life than my own four children. Hmm. And that's the thing on purpose because I did yeah. not want to pass on the pain that daddy went through to mm -hmm. my kids because what do kids want to do? Kids, kids want to take care of and please their parents. Yeah. And at a young age, especially. And I just didn't want them. I wanted them to grow up with no worries, no stress that, that daddy's all right. And a mm -hmm. lot of parents pass on their crap to their kids. Mm -hmm. And we have generational trauma. Mm -hmm. um, with that said, what I know, um, for those who are watching, you can see how I'm getting very emotional because I feel like this touches a place of where I'm at with my life, with my family. Um, and I love them dearly. Um, but it's been a place where I've had to kind of just take a step away a little bit um, to make sure that I'm okay to not allow the habits that they live from a place of bitterness. Um, so how, I don't even know how to form this into a question. What advice do you have for those who are working on changing that generational trauma um, in a way that's healthy and holy and honoring to the family unit but not allow it to affect um, the next, the present generation and the next generation. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're loved. <laughs> okay. You're loved. You have a great spirit and it is a tough time to go through the trauma. And especially when it's the dynamics of family trauma, you know, and so I would say to you right off the bat that, if you have some trauma with your family, that you love them from a distance. Yeah. And that you don't necessarily have to be physically around them and such. And so that sometimes you have to cut the toxic crap out of your life for a while so that you can find you. And if you're always around your family and you lose yourself and you, you're brought to a painful part in your, like a painful uh, uh, flashback of your life, then you have to just love them from a distance and move on for mm -hmm. a while. And, and maybe the season will come where you'll be able to, to close that gap together and get closer. But right now, you know, I'll, I'll just give you an example. My own biological mom, I have not spoken to her for 10 years at least. Because I realized that when we got together, it just wasn't a, a positive place. Mm -hmm. and. I'm very picky on who I have in my circle. Yeah. Very picky. I have to be because I do not want to be dragged down. I do not want to uh, have it affect my family. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be picky. Fly with the eagles, not with the turkeys. Fly with the eagles, <laughs> not the chickens. You know what I'm saying? Like fly <laughs> above the storm. And, and I always tell people that if you're the smartest in your group, get out. Yeah. <laughs> You could have three friends that are smarter than you, so you can all elevate each other, right? Right. Yeah. You want to be elevated, but I think you know, cutting people out 
If you want to change your life, you change your friends. Can you change your family? No, but you can love them from a distance. Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily have to talk to them all the time or see them all the time. You can check in once a month, once every six weeks, eight weeks, write them a letter instead of talking to them, write them an email, send them a text, but loving them from a distance, especially if it brings up stuff from the the past that, that has not been dealt with, or they have not taken responsibility for what they've done to you. Mm-hmm. So we always want to work on ourselves, but we cannot forget too, because we don't want to be foolish again. Right. And so forgiveness is one thing, but forgetting is another. And so I have to tell you my story of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Is this a good time to tell you? Yeah, this is great. Think, or, or Okay. So I had not talked to my biological mom for a couple years after I met her. I flew her out. I tried to mend things. And here's the son trying to mend things with the mom, which is weird. It should be kind of the other way around, I believe, right? But Uh I'm trying to be the proactive one. And finally, I decide this is not worth it. It's not going anywhere. So I leave the situation and I I kind of cut them out. Maybe a Christmas card once a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, so it's probably been about five years or so that I've heard from my mom. I was, I was on the toilet of all places on Mother's <laughs> Day. I think I was on my iPhone 4. <laughs> so guys don't necessarily look at magazines on the toilet anymore. Who we does anymore? Oh, like you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes we go to the toilet to escape, right? You know, we got our <laughs> magazines or whatever, or, you know, no, whatever. You just or the phone, the electronics. Yeah, that, phone. That's why I'm like, I always hear people like, I drop my phone in the toilet. I'm like, aha. <laughs> you let go of your phone before you wipe. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> but I, it's Mother's Day of all days. Okay, mm-hmm. I have never acknowledged my mother on Mother's Day. Mother's Day is the day that my sister was shot and killed. She died on Mother's wow. Day, and so I hear this voice in the morning on Mother's Day on the toilet of all places, saying, "You need to call your mom." And I'm like, mm, "No, I will never call my mom on Mother's Day." Are you kidding me? And you need to call your mom. It was a distinct voice, loud. And I know what that voice was. And so I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't even know where her phone number is. Yes, you do. No, I don't. And I fight with this voice in my head for like half the day. I'm not doing it. Are you kidding me? I am not going to call her. You need to forgive her. No, I'm not going to call her. I am not going to forgive her. I, she is not worthy of my forgiveness not worthy of my forgiveness, what she's done to me. She's never said, I'm sorry. You know, she's never taken responsibility. She passed on the buck. Well, Derek, it was tough for me. So, mm-mm, I'm not calling her. Six o'clock that evening, Mother's Day, I find her phone number and I call her. Now, I have not spoken to her for a number of years. And I said, hi, uh, this is Derek. And she goes, oh, my gosh, my little baby boy. Hmm. And I said, no, 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 don't go there. Listen, you need to listen to me. Don't say anything. And I said, uh, I forgive you. I forgive you for never coming back for me. I forgive you for burning me, for trying to drown me. In the t- I forgive you for, you know, like all these things that you did. I forgive you. 
for um, never calling me. I forgive you for, you know, abandoning me. And I, uh, and I'm just bawling. I'm just bawling. And, you know, um, after I was done, there was a, I could see that I could hear she was crying. And um, she said to me, right after I was done, she said, Eric, I am so sorry that I chose a man over my own son. And I will live with this for the rest of my life. Like I will take this to my bed, my deathbed. And I said to her, that's what I needed to hear. And I said, you can have a clean slate with me. And you can go through life knowing that I will not hold any resentment towards you or bitterness towards you. And you can go through life having a whole new slate. And I hung up that phone. And I've never talked to her again. And I'm peace. I'm at peace. I don't even need her in my life. I lived most of my life without her. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. I already got a family. <laughs> I got a wife. I got four kids. I created something that she doesn't have. Mm -hmm. She couldn't destroy me. And so, you know what that... that when I finally forgave her, it was the last piece of metal protecting my heart, the armor protecting my heart, that I finally took it off and I became my most authentic, best, loving, likable self. And you become honest with yourself and you realize, like, I have a great life. See, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I am blessed and I am not cursed. And yeah, it was so tough. My gosh, it was so tough. But my season came at 37 years old for forgiveness. And your season might come if you're listening at 18, at 25, at 35, at 45, at 56 years old, at 65 years old, at 78 years old. But if you're open to it, that season will come. And, and guess what? When that season comes... You will grow beyond anything that you've ever gone through. Like your spirit will grow. You will have so much peace. Uh, you will look at life so differently without bitterness. You will look at life like, I forgive them. Even when like all these people say bad stuff about me online, that they hate <laughs> my family, they hate my kids, they hate that I rap, they hate, they say the most vile things to me. But then there's like 95, 98% people that love my videos and they feed me and they fuel me. And you realize that those people that say such nasty things about you, it's just a reflection of their life. And you have to just stay in your lane, just stay in your lane and you just forgive them. And you just like, wow, I feel sad for them. Mm -hmm. That's sad that their season has not come yet. And I hope they don't pass that bitterness on to when they have kids or if they have kids right now. I hope that their kids aren't being raised the way that you're portraying yourself out there. Mm -hmm. But you have to stay in your lane and you have to forgive and you can't forget. I mean, it's just you, you can never forget. I mean, people say forgive and forget. It, it will never happen. Yeah. It's like it stained your brain and stained your heart, stained your soul. It's scarred it, not stained, but scarred it. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's a reminder of how you can turn that wound into wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
And if you're going through a hard time right now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, if you are open to letting the bitterness go, remember this. Your current situation is not your final destination. Your best days are still ahead of you. And you have to believe that. But you have to put in the work. And that work is one simple thing called forgiveness. But it is so hard, too, right? But it is. It can be done in starting in a day today. I love that Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Yeah. And I hope after this podcast that I have planted a tree, a seed inside of you, a seed that in 20 years from now, you will listen to us and say, I am so glad I planted that seed because I have such a beautiful tree to kick, out, kick back underneath and, and hang out under. Mm -hmm. It's the tree. It's the seed. You keep planting those seeds. And then when you plant those seeds, it's contagious. When you plant an apple tree, what comes out? More apples with tons more seeds, right? <laughs> yeah. So you plant that seed, ladies and gentlemen, and you are going to see major fruit from your effort. But that fruit doesn't come the first day. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. And you're going to have flashbacks. And before I, before I, Tell you, well, here's what helped me tremendously yeah. because everybody has flashbacks and we all have PTSD. I mean, so many people are getting, so many people have PTSD that haven't been diagnosed, mm -hmm. but it, it is true. It's post, you know, yeah. from all the trauma that's been done to them. And so I went through a therapy in my thirties called EMDR, eye mm -hmm. movement desensitization yeah. yep. processing. It has a 74% success rate with veterans with PTSD at Kaiser Hospital. And oh, it, it healed my life. It helped me so much, not only forgiving, but it healed my soul because I was burned with hot water as a kid where all my skin would come off. And I never liked hot water growing up. And I didn't like taking hot showers and I didn't like getting hot tubs and all this stuff. But now after, those, after that therapy, I get in hot tubs, I help out with the dishes, I uh, you know take hot showers and all that stuff. So it's just, it's finally healing the trauma part of your brain and helping yeah. you reprocess it and realizing that as a kid that went through trauma and probably you is trauma that it was not my fault. Mm -hmm. It was my parents or whoever the violator perpetrator was. It was them out of control. I was in survival mode as a kid. Yeah. I didn't know any better. And as a kid, you don't know how to process things. I mean, the human brain doesn't even fully develop to what, 25 years old? Yeah. And so as a kid, so you get stuck. And what, what trauma does is it alters your brain. Mm -hmm. And you're in survival mode, fight or flight mode. And mm -hmm. so when I'm 18 years old, I might emotionally be 14 because you get yeah. stuck. Yeah. And so EMDR helps you go back into that trauma part of your brain, reprocess it, and realize it was never your fault. So you can let go of the shame, blame, and guilt. And you do a few sessions of that, and my gosh, for me, it changed my life. So I highly recommend that. How was that over? Did you ever seek a counselor for any of the, the trauma? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You're talking to a guy that has gone through so much counseling. I went through psychiatric counseling from ages 6 to 13 twice a oh, week wow. from the foster care system taken to the county building. Then I went through more counseling as a teenager and then as an adult. And uh, that was great because you're speaking about it, you're talking about it, they're helping you uh, process things and how to react better and all that stuff. 
<clears throat> but there's a part of your brain that the trauma still lives and mm -hmm. has not healed. And we, we relive it all the time. And so we're always pulling the bandaid off for years. It never heals. Right. And so that EMDR finally lets it heal the trauma part of your brain. And so that's where the, I don't get flashbacks anymore. I mean, once in a while I get a nightmare and my wife will have to wake me up. I mean, once every couple of years or something, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean, instead of weekly or monthly, you know, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's finally living in peace. Cool. What um, part of forgiveness um, plays into that with the daily practice? I mean, you mentioned how you have the haters on social media, right. yet you, that doesn't bother you. How has forgiveness allowed you to um, kind of brush those comments off and not allow it to like sting or scar your heart again? Right. Or relive it or right. uh, react angrily and like yes. violent, you know, all that stuff. Right. So yeah. um, I just adopted the mantra that I just want to, you know, I just want to be in peace. I mean, really, uh, that's what I strive for is in peace. Even when I get in arguments with my wife or something like that, right? You know, everyone gets in arguments and I'm like, this, this is not a battle I want to face. This is not, this is not worth the, you know, this is not the battle I want. This is not what I want to go. I want to be in peace. It's, I've lived a lot, a lot of my life in contention and hatred and bitterness. And when you go through the foster care system, you know what I'm talking about. It's just really, really sad situation. And um, you realize that nothing good ever came from that that bitterness, that anger. You know what anger is? One letter away from danger. Ooh. Thank you. You know, one letter away from <laughs> danger. So anger, danger, right? So be better, not bitter. And so I am always, and I fly about 125,000 miles a year on airplanes. And so you deal with people that are upset traveling. Traveling is not a fun experience anymore. It's no. people get pissed off. People have been drinking. People get upset. They got to turn their phones off and, you know, da, 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 on the airplanes. And you see a lot of crap on airplanes. And people, you know, people have made digs at me too. Like I pulled my luggage out one time and this guy got it all up in my aisle and called me a hole and all this stuff. And I go, wow, you must be having a really hard day right now. And I didn't take it in. But if you had met the 18-year-old Derek, it would have been on in that airplane. Like, he would have flown. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's like, hey, I just want to be in peace. And I think when you, you have that massive action plan, that map, right? Mm -hmm. And you are choosing and designing your life the way you want to, that no longer are you going to react to life, that you're going to choose the way you respond. Um. It puts everything in more perspective because how you respond to a situation will determine your success in life. Mm. And so responding angrily, violently, bitter, uh, yelling, cussing, and all that stuff, what does that do? Nothing. And it steals your peace and it steals your joy. So I have a design that I've created in my life that I want joy and I want peace in my life. And when you adopt that, things just don't bug you as much anymore. Do things mm -hmm. bug me? Yeah. But then I breathe. Mm -hmm. my nose hold it for eight seconds let it out yeah i count backwards people say count forwards count to 10 you'll feel better to be honest it does not work <laughs> <laughs> for me it didn't work so you try to count to 20 you try to count to 20 uh, i mean to 100 it does not freaking work for me and so what i learned is that the the brain works really well in forward mode 
like one, two, three, four, five, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, all that stuff. Uh-huh. So I learned with my own brain that if I count backwards from like 736, you'll never get to 600, but 736, 735, it's slow. It's slower. So you have uh-huh. to think more. Okay. Right. Yeah. And it calms you down. And then number two, if I'm good at counting, then I do the alphabet backwards. Yeah. Z, X, Y, T, W, I don't know, whatever. Right? <laughs> you, know, like you, think, you have to think. Right. And when you're thinking like that, you uh-huh. are not thinking about anything else. You're actually using a different part of your brain. Right. It doesn't make you even think about trauma. It doesn't make you think about resentment, anger. You're thinking, what is the next letter or what's the next number? Mm-hmm. And then breathing. I'll just give you a little life hack here for me. So I might take things extreme, but breathing didn't really help me. So they say three times, breathe, you know, breathe in eight seconds through your nose, let it out through your mouth. And I did that like five, six times. It doesn't help me. So what I do is I do breathe three times. And then the fourth time I breathe in and I hold it Mm -hmm. and I hold it. Yeah. And I hold it until I'm about to die. <laughs> and then I let it out. And what's the first thing I'm thinking about? Air. Air. Yeah. I need to get air back in. Right. Yeah. So you've yeah. held it for like 45 seconds to a minute. You're not thinking about anybody else or who pissed you off. All you're thinking about is I need air back in. And then there's something about all that air going back in, all the oxygen. Kind of makes you a little lightheaded, but it brings clarity back and balance. For me, it works. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you almost have to die to live again. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that concept up of like um, holding your breath because there's a breathing ladder. And if you're not familiar with that, no. it's um, so with um, training with kettlebells, the ladder is like you're progressing up with reps and you do a single arm swing on each side for two reps and then you breathe for four, but you're taking those. So you're going from like a very, um, anaerobic exercise to deep yoga breathing basically. And it's similar cause I'm, I'm starting to incorporate this more with my routine because of, so I don't have those reactions of going back to the like old habits I've had of acting out or not acting out in anger, but just responding in ways that are not um, edifying for myself and other people. And so with this breathing protocol, there's points where you're like almost finding yourself like at this breathless point because you're changing your breath at such dramatic ends. And it, it is, there's some points where I'm like, I can't even get a breath of air in, but knowing that you're under control under those circumstances has, I found has helped me in those areas that have been like triggering moments. Um, we're knowing that if I can train my body in a place that feels like it's about to like pass out because I don't have air, mm-hmm. I can handle this trigger. Oh, so wow. I find that fascinating how you bring that yeah. aspect up because I've had a lot of other um, coaches on board as guests talking about the importance of breath, but there's been more and more um, concept of this aspect of holding our breath mm-hmm. and what does holding our breath do to the mental and the physiological parts of our body. So I thought that was really fascinating that you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't even know that. I'm just like, I got to figure out another life hack. And another yeah. thing, you know, that <laughs> we all get these images. Research has shown we have approximately 35,000 images that go through our brain, 35,000 mm-hmm. thoughts, right? And so you have to, 
I get negative thoughts just like you. Like no one's perfect here. Right. Like, no perfect people allowed to listen to this podcast. You know what I mean? Like there's no perfect people. And right. so you're going to get a negative thought. And I just think I got to swipe it out like my phone. Like you're swiping your pictures or whatever right. on your phone, right? right. You swipe it out. And, and that thought wants to come back in. So then what I do, here's another little hack. I squeeze my eyes as hard as I can. And I think about Ben and Jerry's fish food ice cream. <laughs> with marshmallows, lots of caramel, like the creamy marshmallow, dark chocolate fish, chocolate ice cream. And that's like one of my favorite things in life, right? And I love Ben and Jerry's fish food. And it just makes me feel good. So I'm literally one positive, one thought away from a positive thought. Right. Really, I'm, yeah. you just have to control your thought. Are you the gatekeeper of your thoughts? Or mm-hmm. are your thoughts controlling you? So mm-hmm. you have to be the filter of your thoughts. And everybody gets negativity. I mean, it's, that's how our brain our brain is actually wired to be more to to look for the negative things to protect us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it puts out fear, it puts out worry. It's like you shouldn't do that. It's risk. That's this that. And so we have to just swipe it and, and turn that that risk into reward, right? And uh-huh. that worry into the worship. I don't know, whatever. So <laughs> like figuring out something new, just finding your life hacks. And so that's what works for me. Awesome. But we're literally one thought away from a positive thought. Yeah, you just have to be the gatekeeper, you have to control it. And then think about what you're thinking about. If that's the number one key is to witness what you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. What you think about, you bring about you focus on you bring out even more. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, we're gonna be um, close to wrapping it up. Derek, do you have any um, other life hacks about forgiveness and how someone can start practicing forgiveness and continue this practice? I know it's always, um, there's parts of it that are a struggle at the beginning um, and there's parts where it's a struggle in the middle, um, but how do you keep this practice of forgiveness living well within your body and life now? Well, thank you. I write poetry and raps. (laughs) So I believe in getting the crap out and then turning the struggle to a success to solution, right? So I literally changed my own story by writing it out too. That's Mm -hmm. why I've written seven books. And I'll do something like this, rapping dad, right? So all my social media is rapping dad, R-A-P-P-I-N-G-D-A-D. My website is IWillNeverGiveUp.com. Okay, I will never give up.com and we're gonna blow it out like this. All right. Here we go. Rap and dad. So this is how I deal with things. I write right. it out and I create a new map for me, massive action plan. I design my life. And so sometimes writing it out puts me on the right uh the right direction. So here's a few lessons that I've learned. I've turned a mess into a message and earned a return. I've turned scars into stars, live like avatars. No one can stop you if you believe in your heart. And this is your life. Go and own it. Never let the past infect your future for a moment. Never let a weakness destroy your greatness. It's time to profess. You're too blessed to be stressed. Bam! You could be everything you want to be. But never let the inner me be your enemy. It's time to be better and not bitter. It's a choice to be a winner. And it's a choice to be a quitter. So if you've been knocked down or thought about suicide, get out of the shadows and hold your head high. Because this is your time, and this is your sign. Get up and climb. You were born for this moment to shine. My name is Derek Clark. Thank you very much for having me out on your show. Woo! 
thank you so much. That was super fun. Oh. I love it. <laughs> it's interesting that you um, bring that up because during this um, period of my healing, I find that I've been writing a lot of poetry as well. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll start sharing more of my you work. Should. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Strong Ones, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the last episode of the series of Fitness for Forgiveness. Thank you for tuning in with that. And I hope you gain some insight and the strength to let go. Blessings on your journey wherever you may be. If you enjoyed this show, make sure you share your love with the five stars and give it a comment. Other than that, guys, I'll be peacing out and I'll be back next week. Peace. Hey, Strong Ones, thank you so much for tuning in. You have heard so much about my spiritual and strength journey, and we have had amazing guests on this show, and I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your ideas, topics that you may think would be good for the show, or even if you know someone who should be on the show, I would love to hear from you. The way you can contact me is a couple of ways. I'm always on social media. You can contact me through Instagram with a direct message at Anna score, Anna score, <laughs> Anna underscore Willard underscore or Facebook Anna Willard business name, Anna Willard slash Iron Will Train. Third way is to simply sign up for my newsletter that I send out weekly, reply to one of those, and I would love to hear from you on ideas that should be on the show or concepts. If you want more of the science base, more of the spiritual base, or if you know, again, someone who should be on the show, please let me know. I would love to hear from you and wherever you may be on your strength journey. So I look forward to connecting with you. Other than that, guys, stay tuned for the next episode. Blessings on your journey. I am peacing out.